By the way, speaking of Jessica, who just got ravaged by Valentina Shevchenko, how about Caitlin Shukagan now possibly being up next? That sucks. Yeah, I don't want to see that fight. Welcome to another edition of the MMA Geeks podcast, where Nick Rocher and myself, Stan Drive, we're going to discuss UFC 238, all the fallout from that incredible event. We're going to talk a little bit about Bellator 222 coming up this Friday, and it is a stacked one, maybe their best card ever, and a couple of big fights announced recently too. Nick, how was your week, my friend? It's all a blur. No, it was a good week. Great, great fights. I was, I was disappointed to come up short uh, against you, which brings us to eight, seven, and three. But congratulations um, for correctly picking. Uh, I mean, we did. We did. You and I both picked uh, successfully a couple of underdogs on the card. But your pick Sterling, which we'll talk about, and you picked uh, Ferguson, which we'll talk about. So congrats. Yes, those two. Those two worked out really well for me, Nick. I, I don't know. Like, I wonder after that kind of performance, after essentially being uh, left outside the ring and conscious, essentially in pro wrestling terms, how do you feel? I mean. How will you ever get another win against me, Nick? What are we, like, my 12 to your 2 now? What's the score between us? Um, no, we're 8, we're eight, eight 7, and 3 for, for me. So 7, 8, and 3 for you. So in, in your favor. So I, I'm yeah. actually not dominating at all. I got a little bit away, yeah. Nick. It's okay. Hey, it's going to be really easy um, in a couple of weeks where we've got the extremely predictable main event of Moicano and Korean Zombie. <laughs> You think that's uh, you think it's that predictable? Kid, not predictable at all. <laughs> it's not predictable at all. I was being sarcastic. Yeah, I feel, I feel like uh, you know I always suck at picking up on the sarcasm. Nick, I always fall for that goddamn thing. But yeah, I feel like that matchup is hard to predict because Korean Zombie is just such a uh, he just shocks the heck out of you. He can win fights that you expect him to lose, and he can lose fights that you see him as a favorite in. Uh, he's quite a character in the ring and out of it. But yeah, it's an exciting main event to talk about. We'll we'll talk about it next week, of course, but. Henry Cejudo, Marlon Moraes, a great main event from UFC 238, where we saw Marlon Moraes look like every bit of the killer that he's looked like in his last couple of bouts in that first round where he was just getting off and landing almost at will and looking so much faster and more explosive than the smaller uh, Henry Cejudo. Cejudo came back, though. He reassessed and came back in that second round and decided to do nothing but give him pressure. Um, What did you think of that matchup, Nick? I thought it was such a great fight. It was really great to watch. It honestly, uh, it went kind of how I thought it would go, and we both picked this correctly, um, even though Cejudo was the underdog. So, congrats to us. Yes, you know, sir. I love Marais. I don't like rooting against uh, Marais. I just had a feeling that um, Cejudo, like he's a lot like Cormier. Like Cejudo just finds a way to finds a way to win. He makes adjustments, and that cardio. For days, Marais did look like an absolute beast, but even though he was touching Cejudo up, um, he didn't. I didn't really feel like he did that much damage. But what he did do was gas out his muscles. Uh, Marlon Marais cuts a lot of weight. He's a very heavily muscled guy. We all know how lactic acid works, and he threw a lot of kicks and he was throwing heavy kicks, and that. That burns you out. Well, all of these incredible performances that he's done over the last had over the last eighteen months, they're uh, one round and out. If I'm if if memory serves, a um, sunset might have gone to two rounds. I can't remember. No, they were all they were they're, all first round finishes. He got the second round, and you saw the the expression on his face was similar to the expression on Shane Carwin's face when he came out for round two against Brock, you, the glow was gone when Marais came out um, for the second round, I yeah. thought. Yeah, Marais didn't temper himself. He came off of three spectacular first-round finishes against three of the best fighters in that 135-pound division, and then he comes in here against a 125-pounder that isn't known for being a finisher outside of the arguably late stoppage, early stoppage in his last bout against TJ Dillashaw. He came in here against a smaller guy, and I think he expected to finish again, and he made a huge mistake. 
Um, it seems like he he must have gone off game plan. It seems like those guys that fight under Mark Henry and Ricardo Almeida in title fights in big fights they tend to they tend to just go the opposite way of the game plan and just let it all crumble in front of their eyes. Same thing happened with Eddie Alvarez when he fought Conor McGregor. He just circled right into McGregor's left hand, made that bout as easy as it possibly can be for Mac. Uh, he gave that right hand for Mac to counter. He did everything that McGregor would want him to do. And Marais kind of blew his load in that first round. He came off of three spectacular first-round finishes, and he ended up probably overrating his ability to do that. Henry Cejudo, as far as I can as as far as I can remember, has never been rocked. He's never been hurt. And that guy is durable as heck, as you were saying. He's tough as heck. Um, and well, he, he, got, he did get TKO'd by Mighty Mouse. Yes, but the, the, there weren't because of shots to the chin. The, those were predominantly body shots in the clinch sure. that set up that finish. Um, so, again, his, his chin is not necessarily, necessarily fallible. Also, I would argue that he was basically just a wrestler back then. This was a very different He's version. Absolutely. He's way more dynamic. He's way more confident and, and much more dangerous. What you said about Mark Henry's fighters is very interesting. It's got me thinking because I think one can claim that Edson Barbosa's great, great failure, and certainly he's a top 10, top 12 lightweight, is that he doesn't really have a plan B. And when you think about uh, Edgar's last really big uh, bout was you know, his rematch with Aldo, at UFC 200, you know, biggest stage. He did win two, I think, won two rounds against Aldo in their first fight. And there was, he could not, uh, you know, he couldn't adjust. There was no plan B. And I remember after that fight, Mark Henry took complete blame for the loss, for not um, figuring out and coaching Edgar uh, to adapt. So I don't I don't know enough about, about that camp, but I, I do think that you just identified an interesting trend. Yeah, um, and and again, there's very specific things that you can do when fighting a certain matchup, right? If you're Marlon Marais, and I alluded to this in our last episode when we spoke about this matchup, Marlon Marais was going to be full of energy in that first round and extremely dangerous. In that second round, he was going to be less dangerous. In that third round, less so. In the fourth round, less so. And I didn't expect him to be quite that tired uh, by the time the bout hit the third round, which is when at the end of which he was finished. But I did expect him to get more tired as the bout went. Henry basically uh, put in the game plan he was supposed to. If you think about it, you could argue, even though he probably did this inadvertently, you could argue that it was a great game plan for him to let Marlon get some serious confidence and just blow his load. Marlon was throwing yeah, was broken kicks. Dope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Marlon was throwing huge kicks. He was throwing huge combos to finish the bout. There's no way you can keep that up. I've talked about this before. We've spoken about this before. You can be super fast and super explosive for only so long. That's why certain fighters fight in a certain tempered way. Those really explosive guys that are very successful at the highest levels, like uh, uh, Romero. He throws, <laughs> he throws like 20 strikes per round, Nick, and, and about 10 of them are explosive. And he might throw a, fl a flying knee in there somewhere, but he's never just consistently throwing offense because he knows he can't do that for more than a round. Uh, Marais made a huge, almost kind of uh, amateurish mistake. But I think in any case, Cejudo was going to start to take over in that third round, if not the second. And I was very impressed with his ability to finish uh, an exhausted Marlon Marais. Take over, certainly. And I thought that's what would happen. I did not think that his go-to technique would be the tie plum and that he would be landing knees to the, the body and the chin at will against That's Mar such a great point, Nick, especially I considering it's the tie plum where he lost to Demetrius jo Johnson in the first bout. Yes. It's, it's not something that Cejudo is known for. So it was, I don't know how much of that was him having uh, mastered it, and it's a new great tool in his toolbox, or it was that as exhausted as Marais was, he, he could have you know, used any number of uh, techniques. I think to one extent or another, it was, it was some of both, especially with, as a shorter guy. If you can keep your opponent's kind of neck down, it's really yeah. a comfortable position. I know as a taller guy, if a, if a shorter guy is really strong and he has the ability to, to pull my head down, it's not, it's not a position I want to be in. So, yeah, that could be a factor. The fact that he's tired, and that will add to your level of uh, exhaustion, uh, is having your neck pulled down so you don't really have a straight path for oxygen or blood to flow through. Um, yeah, that's that's an excellent point about that tie plum. And I think part of it is also that Henry's probably studied that position after 
realizing that's where he lost to Demetrius Johnson. Henry is the kind of guy who wins two UFC titles and an Olympic gold medal. I know it's kind of a running joke at this point, but he is that kind of guy because he corrects his mistakes. He doesn't just come back and say, oh, he got luckier. Like, he he studied that bout in which he won the bout which he lost. Uh, fans, said, sorry? Do not, fans do not like him. No, but you know you know what? I don't know. I, I love his like, shit. I mean, he, he, he's laughing with us, and I, and I appreciate that. He's being ridiculous and somehow pulling it off. I mean, he's a dork. He's a dork the same way Cormier's, you know, the daddest man on the planet. But I, I think, I guess I think, I think I'm kind of a dorky way. sport. Don't you see, Nick? You're a pro wrestling fan. He's doing the Kurt Angle. This yeah. is Kurt Angle. Well, Angle had a lot. Suhudo's jokes are really flat, like all the magic tricks with the snake and stuff at the weigh-in. Like his shtick isn't very good. But I just, there's, I, I'm just in awe of a guy who can make who who's developed the way that he has who's made the adjustments um he has and who you know since since um the Benavides fight and that that close loss and then kind of who he's who he's been since then every time he's gotten in the cage is just he's gotten so much better and listen knocking off Mighty Mouse Dillashaw and then Marace at 135 up a weight class is as impressive a three-fight run um, as you're going to see. Yeah, and you know what? You can add Sergio Betis to that, who's a top-five flyweight as well. Like, this is as impressive a run as anybody's ever had. For this reason, Nick, I'm declaring it. I really do believe it. Henry Cejudo is the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Until he loses, that is where I stand. Um, To do what he's done, John Jones has ruled a fairly weak division. with multiple, uh, multiple, how how do I put this? Performance enhancing drug uh, violations. Henry Cejudo is clean as far as anybody can tell. He's coming up and weight against much bigger men, uh, and he's willing to fight the most dangerous guys at that higher division. Um, and he's he's finishing these guys. Uh, I know he didn't finish Demetrius Johnson, but that fight alone could make him a pound for pound contender. T.J. Dillashaw, who's the champion at the weight division above. That win alone could make him a pound-for-pound contender. But those two combined mean so much, Nick. And on top of that, you have Marlon Marais and Sergio Pettis kind of sandwiching those two pound-for-pounders in there. Um, He's the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, if you ask me. And uh, John Jones is, uh, again, John Jones' performance-enhancing issues take him out of that conversation in this context, in my opinion. Well, I, I almost agree with you, but I've got two words for you. What's that? Amanda Nunes. I hear you there. And I, I look at what she's done since you have to mention UFC 200 again. Um, since her, her power just devastated Misha Tate in the main event, the main event of the biggest UFC, you know, in history, um, or was built up as. So there was all that pressure, and she just crushed Misha, um, crushed Rousey, crushed Cyborg. Um, Nick, you're making excellent, excellent point here. Did she destroy anybody? Oh, and she beat, and let's, we're going to talk about Valentina Shevchenko in a second, but she beat Shevchenko twice. Now, an argument can be made that Shevchenko maybe won the second fight. It was extremely close, but she took another great pound for pound fighter um, who's just wrecking people and has beat her twice. Well, yeah, the first time she beat up Shevchenko pretty badly and it had a 10-8 round in the middle before gassing and losing the third round in their so, tight five-round title fight was very close very very close but still Nunes has two wins over her I think she's had the most impressive run of the last uh, of the last couple of years and is the pound for pound best fighter in the world right now yeah you, you're making an excellent argument yeah I thought you meant Christiana uh, I thought you meant Cyborg when you meant uh, that she beat a pound for pounder um yeah, I agree. With those Valentina Shevchenko wins, she's got two of them over the champion of the weight division below her, and she's officially beaten the champion of the weight division above her weight division. And, <laughs> yeah. And Cyborg. So you're you're making an excellent point as well, actually. That's a very, very good point. She might just be the best pound-for-pound fighter. The The thing is that I, I, would, I would stand to argue that the women's divisions are not quite up to the same level. It's kind of like... There's a low level of fighting at 185, at 205, at heavyweight, certainly, than there is at 145, 135, or 155. 
there's just it's just not the same level. And I do feel like the women's divisions are more comparable to those higher weight divisions uh, for men. Um, maybe 115 being an exception where where at 115 right. we've got some killers, yeah. and I think uh, Shevchenko is probably an exception to that, and so is uh, Cyborg, and so is Nunes. The problem is they they don't truly get to fight like the same level of competition as some of the guys in those weight divisions. But to your point, Amanda Nunes with wins over Cyborg, Shevchenko, Rousey, Tate, she beat. Oh, I guess she she hasn't had a chance to, but is about to beat Holly Holm presumably. This is going to be the ultimate resume in women's MMA, and you're right, maybe the ultimate resume in the sport. Let's uh, let's move on and talk briefly about Shevchenko. I um, a fight I wasn't really excited to see. A fight that a fight I didn't think should be booked, um, but was, and we got the result we thought we might get, um, and had a devastating, uh, possibly career altering. KO as uh, as Shevchenko pretty easily lured Jessica I into a trap um, when she hit her with some body kicks and then faked faked a kick to the body to draw her right hand down and kicked her in the head slash neck and just was it a, did it go go to the, or did it go higher than that was it a, a sort of a lower head kick or a higher head kick. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty pretty smack on the side of the head. I thought, um, kind of where the jaw connects with the temple. Right, and she just crashed. She was such a bad knockout. They kept the camera off of eye for several minutes. I think to make sure she was going to be okay. Yeah, as we saw Valentina Shevchenko go from excited to relaxed to seriously worried, and we had no real idea of what was going on that made her feel all those things. Uh, yeah, I was out for a little while. Uh, I was concerned that Valentina Shevchenko might come in there and, and just ho-hum her way to another decision. Um, she has the ability to do that to a lot of people, Nick. And it takes a Priscilla Cachoeira or a Jessica I-level opponent to get her to really bring that out. Now, I know that Jessica I is a better fighter than Cachoeira. I get that. But it, it takes for a fighter to be clearly and obviously a couple of leagues below her for her to really push it like this. And I love to see this because she has the ability, Valentina does, to do this to just about anybody. Her last bout, to her point, uh, what, uh, was an exciting one against the, the former 115-pound champion, Joanna Ian Jacek. Um, but Joanna's the type to really wait forward and push forward. And she was the one that was really making that fight exciting because if you give Valentina something to counter, she will look good. Um, this was a bout in which Valentina didn't need anything to counter. She set up that head kick, like you said, did basically whatever she wanted, uh, landed yes. those body kicks clean and hard, got takedowns, didn't do much on the ground. I'm not sure why she felt like she needed the takedown, uh, but she she took her down, I, I guess, in, in order to break her will some more and then used you know used the, the, the worry that she placed into Jessica I's mind about her liver, about that kick coming to the liver in order to set up that head kick. Yeah, as spectacular performance as you can ask of Valentina Shevchenko against this level of opponent. I hope we see this aggressive side of her uh, against some of the higher level opponents. I think the only person that can foreseeably put a real, uh, have a real chance of beating her in the near future is Tatiana Suarez. I have the, I get the impression that she has trouble making weight at 115. So I can certainly see her coming up to 125 in the near future. Um, but she's not ready now for either the 115 or the 125 champion, if you ask me. Uh, a great performance by Shevchenko. Then we've got Tony Ferguson, Donald Cerrone. Was pretty exciting. Uh, I, I had picked Cerrone, who, you know, he looked he looks good. He didn't look, he didn't, to me, and maybe this was because of, of Ferguson's pressure, um, he didn't look, you know, quite as quite as big and quite as strong as he did against Iaquinta or Hernandez, but I mean Ferguson's pressure and accuracy, um, just Cerrone was able to keep to really keep pace, and I thought the first round was very close, but going into the second round, you know, Cerrone lost a half a, a quarter step, and Ferguson picked up a quarter step, and the results of that, uh, you know, that's a half a step swing right there. Yeah, and uh, the results of that half a step swing were seen all over Donald Cerrone's face. Yeah, um, it, it did seem like that first. The first round was fairly competitive. Um, it's funny because Tony really never has 
Tony Ferguson never really has a good first round against Anthony Pettis. He got dropped against Kevin Lee. He had a bad first round against uh, against Lando Venata. He had a terrible first round. Those are That's, all really first round fighters too, though. Yeah, it's true. But again, he's he's looking very very beatable. Uh, he's getting knocked down by these guys. Edson Barboza uh, had a very competitive first round with him before the same thing happened to Barboza that happened to Cerrone. He just couldn't keep up. Nobody can, Nick. He's a madman. And I mean that physically and mentally. From what I understand, he trains literally for six hours straight sometimes. He's the first guy in, uh, and he's the last guy out. And that's not just like a figure of speech. Apparently, he is that serious. He put it in that many reps, that many miles. And it shows, man. He's relentless. He doesn't mind getting hit. He just pushes forward and 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 consistently gets you worrying and moving backward, which is exhausting. Not only that, but you're constantly taking damage. And Tony's not the kind of guy that really has to try to throw hard in order to do damage. You can tell that even after that first round where you think it's a fairly competitive round, but Cerrone looks like he's wearing it. And Tony looks like he was in a light sparring match. Um, yeah, Tony's just relentless. It, it was kind of a weird ending, and Tony didn't get the chance to either finish or get a well-deserved uh, decision here. Um, but after that first competitive round, Tony dominated the second, I thought, and Cerrone uh, had some had some. It looked like his nose was a little bit off kilter. It actually looked broken to me. And then he did the ultimate sin, the same mistake that Eddie Alvarez did against Gilbert Melendez a few years ago. He blew his nose, and that pushed the the that air and, and whatever snot or blood or whatever he had in there right up into that uh, just under his right eye, and it closed up his eye immediately, and you could see it. And I remember as he was blowing his nose, I was like, no. Uh, because I knew you shouldn't do that. Um, he didn't. It's it's rather odd. Um, I, I think maybe there has to be some credit given to the idea that, hey, Donald Cerrone's a veteran. He knows exactly what happens. Maybe he didn't necessarily mind a way out. But Cerrone being Cerrone, being the kind of guy to die by the sword, um, yeah, I, I think he would have gone into that third round and, and Tony would have put it on him some more. I honestly do right now believe that Tony Ferguson's um, – tied at least as the best lightweight on the planet i think he's going to give i think he's um he's got the ability and the speed um and the elusiveness to give habib a run i'm not certain who i'm picking that fight i still think i'm going to pick Habib over uh over dustin uh uh even though i think dustin's a terrific fighter yeah Um, i I think that Khabib's going to be able to get get around his legs and get him down. I'm not I'm not certain that he's uh, that Khabib's going to be quick enough to get to Tony's legs before Tony can touch him up. Yeah, imagine Khabib, um, the Khabib that fought Ally Quinta in that fourth fifth round. Imagine that guy in the third round or the fourth round against Tony Ferguson. Whether Khabib got takedowns early or not. If Khabib did, Tony was elbowing him the entire time. Whether Khabib was able to get close enough for a body like takedown or not, if he did, Tony hit him a lot on the way in. Um, and Tony's not tired. He's not damaged. He's fine. Khabib yeah, he, is exhausted. Khabib, Khabib would have to know to to get the choke in the first two or three rounds. But I don't know. I don't know that I would. I don't know that I would pick Khabib against Ferguson right now. The big and I'm the biggest Khabib fan there is. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think uh, at this moment. I don't think I would either. Right now, I would favor Ferguson against any man alive. And I was, you know, I was fairly confident going into that Cerrone bout because, again, Cerrone is really good against those Russell boxers, and he was fortunate to have fought a couple of them in a row. But Tony Ferguson's a different animal. If pressure is not what you deal well with, Tony is the last guy you should be trying to fight. Um, I think it would be actually be pretty great to see Justin Gaethje against Cerrone. He's kind of a shorter guy, and he's got the body type that would normally give uh, Cerrone a good style matchup. But he's got that super, super pressure that would can give Cerrone a nightmare. So I think I that might see, be something about. I really want to see Ga- like Gaethje, McGregor, and Ferguson. I want to see them all fight each other. I would love that. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, look, M- McGregor – not necessarily as the very, very top contender. Um, it's hard to tell where he is right now. He's clearly not focused on MMA. He's probably not improving. Um, I, I, I can certainly see how this game might be passing him by. 
Now, you can still get into a guy's head, and I think that's why it depends on his opponent as to whether or not he'll have a decent advantage. Donald Cerrone is the kind of guy whose head you can get into. Tony Ferguson is not. Tony is a complete insane man, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, looking forward to watching him compete again. And honestly, man, he should either – like the only fight that I would accept other than a title fight for Tony Ferguson at this point – yeah, it's actually exactly what you said. Either McGregor, because it'll be a big big payday for Tony, presumably, and a really huge win, or Justin Gaethje, because there would be a level of violence there in that bout that is would be absolutely unparalleled, yeah. Um, so let's really, up, really quickly, let's, uh, yeah, Peter Yan and Jimmy Rivera, what'd you think? I thought that uh, Jimmy Rivera won, of that 15-minute fight, I thought he won about about 13 minutes of this fight. I agree. But, but at the end of the first and the end, at the end of the second round, Peter Yan just sold out and went for a big shot or two and caught Rivera, hurt him. And that was enough to give him the first and second round. I thought Jimmy Rivera looked honestly great. And again, this is the reason why I thought those odds were lopsided. It's the reason why I thought Rivera was a, was a worthwhile bet. But it didn't pan out. Uh, I get that. But j- just watching that fight, Rivera looked like the better fighter. Rivera looked, yeah, he looked really good. Except Jan had, you know, landed these landed these great power shots. I thought Rivera's movement was terrific. I thought his combos were great. I thought he was moving in and out very well. I thought it was the best Jimmy Rivera we'd seen in ages, maybe since he fought Faber, um, but which I think was really the fight that that put him on the map for the you know for the average fan. Um, but yeah, Jan did the damage. There's not much more to say about it than that. So I think Jan will get a, you know, Jan will get a top five, uh, another top five bantamweight in his next in his next bout. I wouldn't be surprised if he fights for the title. As crazy as that sounds, like it, it's up to Cejudo, and I think Cejudo would definitely prefer to fight Jan over uh, over another another yeah. 135 or that fought on this card, Aljamain Sterling. He might be a bad matchup for uh, for the new champ. Yeah, he could be. He certainly has that length. But first, let's uh, uh, Ivanov uh, Tuivasa. Like, not much, not much to say here. Tuivasa kind of fought sloppy. Um, you know, landed a few shots. Ivanov was all was craft was craftier. Frankly, he was craftier um, and a little bit tougher. I think. Yeah, as we expected, Blagoy just had the better counter shots, and Ty was going to give Blagoy something to counter. It was actually a pretty good fight, which yeah. Blagoy Ivanov is not known for, but. Yeah, Blagoy just uh, out-hustled him. Ty had some good moments even later on in the bout, which you know is, is a credit to his improved conditioning. But Blagoy was the better fighter. He caught some. He caught some chokes uh, off, you know, off of uh, interesting angles. Uh, yeah, he made stuff happen. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of uh, like a heavyweight Glover Teixeira. Uh, I just, I, you know, I liked. Uh, I like Ivan. I like Ivanov. He's got a cool story. He's a tough dude. I don't think he's. You know, is he going to crack the top three in heavyweight? Like, probably not. Um, but I really think he's. I mean, this is heavyweight. I. I think. I mean, considering the top three are, it's certainly possible. But yeah, he's not going to be champion. But I do think he's right below that Junior Dos Santos level. And keep in mind, he fought Junior for five yep. rounds in his UFC debut. Yep. No, I remember. Um, yeah, I agree. I think he's he's right. Uh, you know, like he hasn't fought Overeem yet, has he? No, that might be a great matchup. Actually, yeah, I'd, like to, I'd like to watch that. I think that's an interesting fight. Overeem would love that bout. I think it's a great style matchup for him on paper, at least. But Blagoy's a tough motherfucker. If he has five rounds, he'll catch that chin sooner or later. Not a not a ton to say about. I don't have a ton to say about Suarez. Uh, answer off. Suarez dominated until she got tired, and then showed you know maybe showed some some striking defense weakness, maybe some cardio weakness, but. Her her wrestling game is uh, um, probably I guess you could say second to none at straw weight. It is second to none for about two rounds, and then right. uh, in a five round bout, this this level of condition, Tatiana, this level of stand up and Brazilian jiu jitsu skill, Tatiana would lose to the champion. So yeah, she she has some work to do on the conditioning part, and she has a lot of work to do on the striking. I think she she needs to fight some of these fights standing and take some chances and get some rounds in, and maybe. She needs to fight uh, somebody a little bit below Nina Ansaroff next. Give her some time to develop. She can be a real champ one day. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you want to send her into Andrade. Yeah, and Andrade got, has the other fight picked anyway. So I I agree there. 
Um, you you outpicked me on Sterling versus Munoz. This to me honestly looked a little bit like uh, the first uh, Jones Cormier fight, where I mean, not that I mean Munoz isn't the same kind of like grappler, but I guess what I mean is Munoz's method of of closing the distance was to walk straight, take a take a number of shots to to try to land one or two and and get in close. And Sterling uh, had reach and creativity and just peck, peck, pecked and drilled Munoz um, to land a, a much larger number of, you know, of strikes. I think it was a great performance by Sterling. I also believe that uh, I thought that Munoz had a dumb game plan. I think that uh, both Caitlin Shukagan and Aljamain Sterling were both known for kind of this running away throw shots from a distance, not to land them, but to just keep you far away from me and to score points kind of style. And both of them looked really good uh, by actually staying in the pocket and landing some clean counter shots in, in these in this bout, uh, in their bouts um, on Saturday night. I thought that was very impressive. Al Jermaine showed the level of stand-up that Ray Lungo has been talking about for a long time now. He's been talking about the potential that he has. Even after Aljamain would get a good victory, Ray Lungo would say, just wait. There's a lot he hasn't shown yet. Just wait. And we're starting to see it, I think, now more than ever. Munoz is a great 135-pounder. He's top five material all the way through. But Aljamain Sterling just was on a step forward. He's a bigger man. He's very dangerous on the ground, and he's becoming way more dangerous standing up. And on top of that, he's becoming very difficult to hit standing up. So, yeah, I think his funky kind of head movement, footwork, um, I think it, it probably the right game planner could get a hold of some tape and figure out how to hit him uh, as he's moving into uh, under one of your shots. But I think until somebody does that, he's going to keep looking good. He's, he's top-level talent. He's athletic as heck. He's got the technique, the team, uh, the confidence. He's got the personality to maybe even be a star. So excited to see Sterling yeah. doing well. Meanwhile, the fight we really need to see from Munoz is uh, Munoz Lineker. I would not say no to that. That would be that would be so exciting. Neither of those guys ever takes a step. They both, back. They both have the same problem, so yes. why not? Yeah, <laughs> I'm there with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they match up Lineker after a loss with Garbrandt, who's also coming off of a loss. I don't think they're going. I do not think that Garbrandt's next opponent will have fists anywhere near Lineker's. Cody can still Cody can still make money. He's still a recognizable, popular fighter. I think I think Cody's next opponent is a, is a, a fair step down in competition, and I suspect uh, someone whose primary strength is grappling, not a a sledgehammer fisted, uh, you know, gorilla like John Lineker. Yeah, I think from John uh, from Cody Garbrandt's perspective, it would be a terrible matchup. I totally agree with you. But I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if I'm not sure who manages him. Maybe I I actually think Atar manages him. Maybe it was it was pretty legit. I feel like he wouldn't necessarily let him take the matchup. But his team, Alpha Male, they would let him take the matchup. Um, it's entirely possible, unfortunately. But I agree with you. It would be a bad bad move on Cordy Garbrandt's part. He should be fighting a couple of grapplers, and quite frankly, he should take some time off for a little bit and let that brain heal up after a couple of big knockouts in a row. Three big knockouts in a row. Um. Impressive performance from Alexa Grasso against Karolina Kovalkiewicz. You and I both thought that Kovalkiewicz, even though she's been has been diminished, we've been talking about this for months. Um, in her last couple fights, she's I don't think she's won a round. She got tossed around by Michelle Waterson. Um, has not looked good since she got uh, dropped by Claudia Gadea, and Grasso just, just fresher seemed like a fresher, younger, faster more accurate fighter. She does Kovalkiewicz is, is fighting old and she admitted it after the fight. So it's, uh, we were, we both, um, we misjudged, we misjudged that. We did RIP to the old Carolina Kovalkiewicz who had just a great five round bout with Yoanni and Jacek, uh, a comeback victory over Rose Namajunas. She's not the same, unfortunately, Nick. She is way past that point. And she, now that she's recognized it, it's almost like worst-case scenario because she now believes it, and it's very difficult to climb out of that kind of mental kind of hole. Yeah. So it's a shame. But it's great to see Grasso picking up a great victory. She's a marketable girl. She's likable. She's cute. She's she's in shape, and she, she has a really exciting style. That could be a really great opportunity for the UFC when it comes to the Latin American fan base. 
Calvin Gutierrez, he's nasty. He's nasty at 145. I want to see him fight Brian Ortega ASAP. That would be a great – I would love to see that bout because that is classic striker versus grappler. That would be fascinating, Nick. Um, Shelby of this podcast, man. I, you know what? I, I'm going to pass it. I'm going to email it to him and, and see if he'll give us a listen. Maybe take, take some hints here. Lamas, he's got heavy hands, just got flattened. I mean, that was just <laughs> – you called it, I think, as a first-round knockout, which was yeah, spot on, Nick. Um, I thought it was going to be a third-round knockout. I didn't think he was going to break his jaw in three places. Still, you called that first-round KO, and that's that's impressive to to call against a guy like Lamas. Um, I thought it would take a little bit longer for uh, Qatar to set up that right hand, but man, it didn't take that long at all. Lamas fell for every trick, the, uh, for, for every breadcrumb, for every trap. That Qatar uh, set and and it didn't take a whole lot of those right hands to finish him off. Really, really nice performance by Qatar, fighting professionally for twelve years. Yeah, oh, that guy is super experienced. And he also mentioned after the bout that he, he regularly spars with boxers. Which Nick uh, Ray Lungo's alluded to this as well in the past. There's such value to sparring serious punchers. They can you're in the corner of that ring and you're getting out hustled by this clean striker who sees everything that you're throwing coming and can land hard clean shots on you it builds a certain toughness it 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 raises your level of technique it raises your ability to see punches to counter punches and qatar does that not a lot of mma fighters do i think that henry cejudo's alluded to uh sparring with some high level boxing fighters as well and i think that's a big part of the reason for the evolution that he's made in his stand-up game in the last couple of years yeah, Qatar is a spectacular prospect. I've been watching him uh, for a little while now, actually. There was a prospect versus prospect bout uh, just a couple of years ago when he fought Shane Burgos, and he beat Burgos, and I favored Burgos in that one, and, and I've been watching him very closely since. He's legit, and I look forward to seeing him fight some of the best uh, in the world. I will say, though, he has a loss. Yeah. He lost to Moicano. It was a decision in which he wasn't really checking leg kicks, which, to be honest with you, he hasn't. I haven't seen an improvement in that regard since then. So I would like to see him fight a kicker. Maybe Jose Aldo would be a, would be a good next fight. It would be a real test for him. And it would be a you know, winnable a fight for Aldo with some serious risk. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's going to get Aldo or Ortega because I don't know if Ortega has a new fight. Or if Korean Zombie wins next week, he could get Korean Zombie. Uh, yes. That, if Korean Zombie wins, that's actually very, very likely. I think that's a great point, Nick. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him back a little bit from those very, very high-level matchups. Ortega might be a risk. And then you got Qatar basically being going two and two and four bouts. Um, I'd say let, let him mature a little bit. Let him let him tone the bottom half of that top ten for a little bit, get his experience, maybe fight some serious grapplers that will test him there, and then we'll see him fight a guy like Ortega shortly thereafter. So let's zip through. Uh, discovered an early prelim card. Uh, Jan beat the the very active Angela Hill in a, in a close and, and pretty entertaining fight. Uh, Jan is part of a contingent of of women Chinese fighters who are pretty good everywhere, but mostly just super strong through the uh, uh, super strong through their their uh, middle and their thighs, their legs, their glutes. They're like just powerhouses. Yeah, hard explosive hitters. I agree. Uh, Darren Stewart actually beat Bevon Lewis. And to be honest with you, I wasn't paying a lot of attention when I Good. saw this bout. Worst. Uh, maybe that's why I wasn't paying attention. It seemed to me like probably Bevon Lewis had it. So I was a little bit surprised at the decision. But again, I wasn't paying attention because it was kind of boring. It was, it was, a, I thought it was a miserable fight. There's nothing good to say about it. Very well. Eddie I thought, Wineland. I thought was, Stewart did enough. But um, yeah, Wineland was super aggressive. Yeah, he he looked great. Actually, Grigory Popov looked uh, started to get into his own a little bit, but he hung in that he pocket did. a little bit too long. He had good, he had good kicks, but it was it was uh, you know once he started landing some kicks, like Wineland started the fight without any respect for him at all. Landed some monster shots. Popov earned his respect uh, mostly through his kicking game, um, and Wineland picked his shots a little bit better. Waited for his opportunity and just you know landed big power shots uh, yeah next up we've got just say, oh my god just say yeah this the, i really this was close and i i i might try to watch it again because i'm a as any listeners know i'm a big mark for syndicate john wood syndicate 
Rock's uh, gym out of Vegas where, where Roxy met a ferry trains, uh, who was in JoJo's corner um, as JoJo's a syndicate fighter against uh, Chikagian. And I thought that uh, Calder would win the first round convincingly with the onslaught of, of leg kicks. I didn't think that Chukagian landed much on the feet, so I was certainly don't buy the 30-27. Um, the next two rounds were close, with JoJo getting some takedowns that I guess you could say were inconsequential because she didn't do much with them, but they were still really impressive catches, catch, you know, catch trips. And uh, I thought they looked, I thought they looked really cool. And anytime you're grabbing somebody's body and slamming them to the ground, that's I think that's you know that's worth something. I didn't really think that Chukagian was landing. I guess she started to land harder in like the second half of the second round, and I certainly gave Chukagian the third. But I gave JoJo the first two, so I wasn't thrilled by the decision here. What do you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was a close decision. I thought that the first round went to Chukagian because she was surprisingly happy to stay in the pocket and land big shots. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, as I alluded to earlier, also with Sterling, both of these fighters who are known for just constantly running and, and staying out of range, just stayed in range way more often than you expected and did really well in there. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, I thought that Collarwood landed like 35 um, pretty stiff kicks to the leg. I didn't think Chukagian landed that much upstairs, but maybe I'm wrong. I thought that Caitlin Chukagian looked better than she ever did. I actually did. I did think that Caitlin Chukagian probably got the bout, um, but by a close margin. I don't think this was a robbery at all. Nah. No, no, with Chukagian, it never is. It's always a close decision, either her way or her opponent's way. And the argument could be made for it going the other way every single time. That's just how Chukagian fights. It was the same thing in her last bout against Jessica I. By the way, speaking of Jessica I, who just got ravaged by Valentina Shevchenko, how about Caitlin Chukagian now possibly being up next? That sucks. Yeah, I don't want to see that fight. I just feel like here's what's unfair, Nick, right? Kayla Shukagian, she walked up into that arena. She was feeling good. She went in there and, and fought a pretty darn good fight. Looked probably her best opponent that she's beaten yet. Maybe her and Alexis Davis. She calls out the champion. She wants to fight the champ next. Valentina Shevchenko, uh, Jessica I, whoever wins the bout, right, in the main event. But she hasn't seen what happens in the main event yet. So, like, after she saw what Valentino Shevchenko did to Jessica I. Do you think maybe she was regretting that call out? No, I don't think so. But I don't. I don't think she's ready. But I think, you know, you're in. You're in this game. You're a fighter. You want to test yourself against the best, and you just, uh, you know, try hard not to, <laughs> not to have the same thing happen to you. I would just ghost her, right? Like if I called out the champ, and the champ had that kind of performance later that night, I would just like disappear. I would just like not tweet for a while. Like, whatever anybody, like, tweeted at me, and when Joe Silva calls to set up the match, I just, like, literally disappear. Like, would not pick up my phone for a couple of months and see what happens. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, before we wrap up the show, Bellator 222 a little bit. Yeah, this is actually one of Bellator's best ever cards. It's, like, genuinely stacked, uh, even, even by normal standards, not just Bellator standards. It's on DAZN. That's right. Yeah, all the Bellator events nowadays are. Um, but, you know, as, as goofy as the name is, I think DAZN is the best thing to happen uh, to combat sports in a long time. It, it certainly can be. Uh, I'd like to see how it progresses. Are you a, are you a member yet? I'm a member, uh, and I'm watching a lot more boxing all of a sudden. I wouldn't normally order a pay-per-view of a Canelo fight, but because I've got DAZN, I'm like, oh, Canelo's fighting. Love that. Okay, great. I like it. So it's actually potentially... As the zone gets more successful, we'll expose these athletes to more fans, presumably, uh, because it's much easier access than that, you know, sixty or hundred dollar pay per view. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you're gambling, you know, like paying yeah. seventy five dollars or hundred dollars for Connor Floyd. Like, right? I hear you there. It's going to be no annoying is the exclusive contract. So, oh, you know, this guy's on the zone, but this other guy's on ESPN, and this other guy's on Showtime. When you really just want, right? You know, want the the best to fight the best in unified titles, yada, yada. So, uh, Rory versus Neiman, what do you think? I'm going to edge Neiman. Gracie, I've sparred the guy a couple times. He's got a really good right hand, uh, pretty solid wrestling, and he's got quite a resume at this point. He's 9-0, and eight of those are by finish. If Rory McDonald was his best self, I would have picked Rory here 
hands down, but he's been looking really bad in the majority of his last many bouts. Robbie Lawler, he got beat up by his nose broken back in 2015. Stephen Thompson, he got beat up by. Paul Daly, he beat up. And then Douglas Lima just rat like just destroyed the man, even though somehow uh, McDonald walked away with a decision there. Musasi finished him. John Fitch, he went to a draw with, and he didn't look good there either. Um, I'm picking Neiman Gracie. Um, yeah, you know, I was sparring with Rory, and um, <laughs> I, you know, he caught me in his California role. No, um, so <laughs> that's a sexual thing, Nick, and I'm not gonna judge. It's a suit. What is, what's his what's his move? The Uzumaki role, the umami role, the role. That's funny. The, 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 the Illuminati role. Um, funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. I always want to pick Rory, but man, he has not looked good since, you know, since Robbie Lawler took his soul. Um, I haven't seen enough of Gracie, but I have, I have a feeling you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to pick Neiman Gracie also. Roy Roy McDonald four months ago or three months ago did not seem like a guy that wanted to be fighting professionally. No, he really didn't. And just to go right back into a training camp, after having a really bad fight and, and just not having high level confidence, I think Neiman Gracie at plus one fifty five is worth a couple bucks. If, you and know, train, and having the how do you train for a Gracie? Also, like you've got to you've got to train so many like uncomfortable jujitsu defenses. You need to have your wits about you all the time. I mean, you know that you're going to get you know that you're going to get stuck in some kind of chess mask chess match where. You make a wrong move, you're getting strangled. Like, it doesn't sound like fun for someone who doesn't think they want to do this anymore. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm on the same page. Rory doesn't have that fire. It's kind of like Carolina Kowalkowicz. He is a fraction of his former self. And when he's at his best, he couldn't beat any man in the world. But this version of Rory will have trouble against a young, surging Neiman Gracie. Yeah, it's too bad. I really, I really thought Rory was the heir apparent at welterweight in the UFC, but it, it was not to be. Um, uh, that, so, that was the going theory for a while there. Um, here's a an interesting, uh, you know, fight between two over forty guys: uh, Leota the Dragon Machida, who uh, exactly ten years ago, um, the Machida Joe, Joe Rogan christened the uh, Machira, Machida era. Welcome to the Machida era, which lasted approximately one fight. Um, but he did look, I mean, God, what he did to Rashad Evans was uh, was amazing. And he's still, you know, a, a, a great fighter who could, uh, who has the ability to, to KO anyone. Um, I think, here's the thing. If Chael, if Chael Sonnen can be herky-jerky and move around a lot and cut off the cage and turn this into a wrestling match. I think, uh, I think he can, he can win a, a fairly boring decision. If he tries to kickbox at all and stands in front of Machida, he's going to get dropped. I think it's more likely at this stage in their careers that Chael, um, that Chael can get Machida down. I think that, I think that could happen. Um, so I'm going to pick Sonnen. I actually think Sonnen will win this fight by decision. I think that's very possible, especially given the fact that ever since Sonnen left the UFC and left the USADA program and failed some tests under the USADA program, he's been looking yoked again and, and just a lot more full of muscle in his, in the twilight of his career in his forties. So Certainly, I don't think Machida is necessarily using anything. Um, Sonnen likely is, and if there's one reason I would pick Sonnen, it's because of that. But I'm still going to give it to Machida, who, you know, has a pretty good record against wrestlers. I mean, Derek Brunson knocked him out. Romero knocked him out. Chael Sonnen doesn't really do that. Um, Chris Weidman went through a hard-fought war of a decision with him. You know, it really does take a lot if you're a wrestler without power to beat, uh, to beat Leona Machida and Chael is an old wrestler without power. Again, maybe yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to Machida in this one because I think uh, his takedown defense is still pretty good. I actually think if Chael can get him down, he can do some stuff. So it's definitely a risky pick, but 
Machida for three rounds should be able to use that footwork to stay at a distance. Uh, also look for that uh, up kick that he knocked out Randy Couture with that Anderson Silva has also used against Vitor Belfort, I think twice now, right? Yeah. Um, so look, look for that up kick as well. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with Machida here, despite the fact that Chelsea is probably stronger than he deserves to be at this point. Yeah, I think it's. I think this could go either. I think it could go either way. I don't know if we were if we were scoring this as part of our our usual thing. I don't know that I would pick Sonnen, but why not? Um, uh, are we are we not scoring it? By the way, I don't mind either way. I didn't think I didn't think we were. Fair enough. Um, uh, Dylan Dennis versus Max Humphrey. Oh, uh, this is a attraction. This is not. Yeah. It's it's basically a tomato can. It's a squash match for. It's what it looks like for Dylan Dennis. Max Humphrey's been submitted by an O and O fighter just a couple of bouts ago, and Dylan Dennis is uh, a really good grappler. Or Marcelo Garcia Black Belt, who's you know pretty well known on the on the grappling scene as one of the better guys out there. Certainly one of the more vocal guys. He's a protege of Conor McGregor and kind of has used the McGregor name to get his name out there as well. Um, pick up some notoriety by literally repeating some of McGregor's uh, trash talk, and he should be able to roll Max Humphrey here with the first round submission. Yep. Um, I don't know a lot about Ricky Mendejas or Patrick Mix. What do you suspect is going to happen? Um, I would give the edge to Patrick in that one. Mendejas actually uh, went came into the Beltor scene and looks like with a win over James Gallagher, who I think is like that Irish prospect that's in the same team as McGregor. Um, he he knocked out Gallagher, who otherwise had been undefeated. But then he lost his next bout to a pretty experienced veteran. So I guess I'll give it to Patrick Mix, who's undefeated. But I have no idea. Like, I haven't, like, I don't really know much about Mix at all. Yeah, me, me either. That wasn't one where I, uh, I got any homework done. Um, and nor do I know anything about Juan, <laughs> Juan Arculeta and Eduardo uh, Dantes. Although Dantes' name sounds familiar to me. Dantes is a multi-time Bellator champion at 145, and I think maybe at 135, actually. Um, and I'm going to give the edge to his opponent here because 22-1 and is a pretty nasty record, and Eduardo Dantes for a 30-year-old has taken a lot of punishment and uh, has a lot of miles on him at this point. Um, I do know a little bit about Kyoji Horiguchi. And Darren uh, Caldwell. Yeah. What do you have in that one? Um, I have Horiguchi, who already has a win over Caldwell. Um, fairly recently. Yeah. Oh, that's right. They did fight in Dream. Yeah, Horiguchi might be the best 125-pound fighter. In, in Risen. Yeah. Oh, I see, I see. Uh, yeah, Horiguchi might be the best 125-er, maybe the best 135-er on the planet. I think uh, he's a long ways away from the guy that lost, by the way, a decision to Demetrius Johnson. I think Horiguchi... Uh, subbed by arm, subbed by arm bar in the last second. You are right. You are right, Nick. That's right. Yeah, he uh, he got armbarred with one second left of the fifth round. I remember that very well. Um, he fought Demetrius Johnson when Johnson was in his absolute prime when Horiguchi was only 24 years old, I believe. Um, 23, 24 years old. He's really coming to his own. I'm a big believer in the guy, and I expect him to pick up another win over Caldwell. Yeah, and that was the only fight he lost in the UFC. He beat Dustin Pegg, Daryl Montague, uh, John Dellis Reyes, Louis Gadno. Yeah, uh, he left. He Chief left on a winning streak. Neil Siri and Ali Bag. Uh, Bag- uh, yeah, but yeah, that guy. <laughs> um, like he beat all those guys on his way, you know, on his way out. Um, and he hasn't. Uh, he did lose to uh, uh, Tenshin Nasukawa um, in September. By decision. That was, a kick, that was a kickboxing battle, and if I remember correctly, Tension might be like either the best or one of the best kickboxers at that weight division. So you know, he he took a risk there in a different sport. Right, that's the guy that fought Floyd Mayweather. Yes, uh, that's right. Yes. Oh, that was a kickboxing bout. Uh, yes, it was a it was a kickboxing exhibition. Yeah, three rounds times three minutes. Yep, it was kickboxing. Yeah, um, pretty good that he went three rounds with that guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, Horiguchi's really good, man. Like he's like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he can get some of the top five guys in kickboxing, um, and some of the top ten guys in grappling. Like he's a really good fighter. I'm a big believer in that guy, and uh, he's actually a lot like Nikita Krylov. He lost, he left the UFC on a win streak because he got a more lucrative offer from his home country, 
and he's really made big of that opportunity. Um, Aaron Pico is fighting Adam Borix. Adam Aaron Pico, who's I think an Olympic wrestler, maybe a, a an amateur boxer growing up. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was really seen as a prospect very early on in his career. But he lost his Bellator debut, and then after rattling off four victories, sorry. Yeah, he was a, him getting signed was a was a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah but, but then he got knocked out in his very first fight. Yep, and then he got a few wins, and then lost his last bout to Henry Corrales. Um, he's now coming in after the second loss of his career, another uh, uh, this time a knockout. He just tends to he just tends to wait. Like he has really good offensive technique. He's so dynamic, but he's not minding any defense. And like nobody can have the conditioning to go at the pace he's going even if he had a great chin and could take some of the shots he's taking in return. But on top of that, his lack of defense and the fact that he doesn't really pace himself worries me when it comes to him at a high level. So I'll take Adam Borgs, who, you know, is 10-0. I haven't seen him fight, but he's got a bunch of wins over a bunch of experienced fighters, and I think that should be enough uh, to go against an Iron Pico who makes some big mistakes, even though he's so offensively dynamic. Makes some huge mistakes and leaves some openings, and he doesn't have the best chin. Yeah, I just wonder what his, you know, what his uh, training has been. It almost, it almost seems like a safe Northcut situation where they're trying to set this guy up for success, and he finds ways to lose. According to Tapology, he trains at Jackson Wink. Now, I'm not a big believer in that gym, but I know they have a, you know, they they, they have a reputation from back in the day. I'm not a big believer that they'll give you the individual attention from a high level that you need if you're not already a big name. So if he is training there at least part-time, I, I would definitely consider going elsewhere. But, yeah, I think, like, maybe American top team. I do think he has kind of a home team, even though it's not mentioned here. I do believe he has a home team that he trains with and does the majority of his work with. And I think it's kind of centered around him, kind of like Henry Cejudo. Right. Um, but, or like Chuck, yeah. or like Chuck Liddell was back in the day. Um, yeah, kind of like that. I think those are all the all the Bellator fights we can probably dive into. Yeah, I think so. But uh, yeah, last week was a great card. This is an interesting Bellator card, and then next week um, is a pretty good uh, ESPN Plus card, right? Uh, yeah, next week does look like a pretty good card on paper. Moicano Zombie, which is cool. Lineker Font, which should be action packed. We've got the return of Brian Barberina, one of my favorite fighters, is fighting Randy Brown. Should be fun. That's a good one as well. Agreed. That's pretty much it. Matt Wyman's on the card out of nowhere. Matt Wyman from back in the day, he's back. That is fascinating. He's only 35. Some of he's only 35 and he's only 16 and 7. I feel like he should be like 53 and 21 or something. Well, I, I figure he hasn't fought in all these years. I wouldn't be surprised, Nick, if he was still under UFC contract and still has like... The only, yeah, it's... It's, uh, you know, he only, after fighting three times in 2011, he only fought once in 2012, once in 2013, and once in 2014. His last two fights were against, his last three fights were against Isaac Valley Flag, TJ Grant, and Paul Sass. Three guys that are nowhere near the UFC. And he's fighting, uh, he's 5'10", and he's fighting the 6'3", Luis Pena, which is an interesting, uh, he basically just took whatever bout they gave him, and they gave him a rough one, if you ask me. That is interesting. But, uh, yeah, a decent card overall. Nothing to, to stay awake up at night over. But UFC on ESPN3, uh, the week after that, I'm sorry, on June 29th, that's looking really good with Nganu Dos Santos, Formiga Benavidez, uh, Maya's fighting Anthony Rocco Martin, Roosevelt Roberts is coming back, Drew Dober, Marco Re Polo Reyes is going to be exciting as hell, Alonzo Manfield is a monster, and he's fighting Paul Craig, who keeps somehow slaying monsters. Uh that's looking like a really good card, Nick. And then after that, we've got UFC 239. So some very exciting things ahead this summer, my friend. Very much looking forward to it. So uh, we'll be around next week with all of our picks for Kano Korean Zombie, a fight between two guys, neither of whom uses their real name. Yeah, that, that's more common in MMA than it should be. MMA has always been kind of the crossover between pro wrestling and, and real sports, I feel like. And th there's no better indicator of that, I think, than, than that example right there. Well, um, you know, there's so many guys named Car uh, Carnero that I'm perfectly content calling him Moicano. I uh, do 
Oh, for the record, Nick, we can use a few more pit bulls. Is it just me, or do we not have enough pit bulls in the sport of MMA here? I think we, I think we have enough pit bulls. One more pit bull couldn't hurt. A Brazilian, maybe. Just random. I would recommend that we put that person down. Um, on right. that, on the, on the dog, on the dog, ending on the dog murdering note, uh, we'll see you next week. Animals make not make it cool, dude. I expect them more, dude. <laughs> I got a kid, I don't like the dog. Fair enough, I guess, but geez, like, you don't gotta hurt a bit, you don't necessarily walk them. Bye, good show, great talking to you, but thank you for the cold, for the big